With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. What's up, Open Floor Globe? I'm your host, Michael the Pod Pina, and I'm joined on the other line by my good friend and Sports Illustrated staff writer, Rohan Nakarni. Rohan, I have two very important questions for you before we dip in today's show. The first is just how was your weekend, man? Oh, it's hard to complain. You know, it's funny, a friend of mine who's not as much into sports was he's from Wisconsin. He's like, yeah, I'm going to watch this Bucks game tonight. And I'm like, I'm so excited for this game. And he was like, really? Like, and I was like, I love game sevens really earnestly. You know, it, I, I did a fantastic weekend just watching all these games, man. So absolutely lovely weekend. I, I hope I can say the same for you. Yes, I went to Boston to visit my parents um, who just got a dog. And mm. that was very exciting. I love dogs. Um, so we had a lot of fun, even though he is a biter. Um, but that's okay. We're <laughs> still, parents, you know. My parents stole my personal dog for the summer. But that's a whole different podcast that we, we'll, we'll have to save. We'll save that for the offseason. Exactly. I was about to say that's an offseason pod. And I can't <laughs> yeah. wait to, 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 to get into that with you. Um, <laughs> my second question for you, uh, Rohan, is did you already buy me... Um, the T-shirt that John Collins wore to his post-game <laughs> press conference last night, which for those who didn't see, it was just a black tee that had a photo of John Collins posterizing Joel Embiid on the front. Um, and, you know, so like, you know, how many, if you did, I was just wondering like how many shirts you got for me because I'd like to have it as part of my daily rotation. Of course. Um, I actually got you seven or eight years, you know, I got you, I got you two in every size because I'm actually not sure what size you wear. Um, So perfect. This gives you the option. Very nice. You know, if you want to go for a more of like a a European look, keep it tight fitted, you know, you have that option. (laughs) If you want to go a little more hype beast and and get the flow going, you have that option. Uh, I really respected that move from John Collins because it's something I would do. And in fact, have done. Um, 
as loyal followers. You've done follow- Joel Embiid. As loyal followers of my Instagram know, when I dyed my hair blonde, I photoshopped my <laughs> face onto the Frank Ocean blonde album cover and of wore course. that sweater around. Yeah, so of course, the classic the, move, yeah. <laughs> classic Rohan. So I, um, um, I have a lot of respect for John Collins, to say the least. That's wonderful. And in all seriousness, I actually did buy that shirt um, this morning, so I'm very that? excited to receive it in the mail. Um, enough about that. Uh, enough about fashion. Although we could talk about it for another two hours if you would like. Um, we have a lot to cover on today's show, Rohan, including a whole bunch of emails that are mostly about Ben Simmons, to be honest. <laughs> Um, and a very special live draft where you and I will preview slash analyze the conference finals by picking starting lineups from the pool of players who are still active and competing in the NBA's Final Four. Uh, But before we get to that, I I want to quickly commend the Open Floor Globe for all the ridiculously awesome emails that we've received over the past few days. Please keep them coming to openfloormail at gmail.com. That's openfloormail at gmail.com. Thank you ahead of time for continuing to send them. They've been so wonderful. Um, We're going to actually read a bunch in a few minutes. But first, I want to look back at the weekend's action, which was incredible. You said it off the top. The Bucks-Nets game was was so much fun Um, and also pivotal. Um, You know, the Nets were eliminated in an unreal Game 7, despite some more historic brilliance from Kevin Durant. The Jazz blew a commanding 20-plus point halftime lead in Game 6 to a Kawhi Leonard-less L.A. Clippers. Utah's season is sadly over. Brooklyn's season is over. I want to start with um, with the Jazz, though, Rohan. Um, <laughs> after that game, uh, you know, there was some, some chatter on NBA Twitter, you could say, um, some criticism of Rudy Gobert, some criticism of Quinn Snyder. You know, I guess just to put it bluntly, did they deserve all the criticism for how that game turned in the second half, or was it a little bit unfair and you just kind of got to give the Clippers their due for how they played? So let me give our our loyal listeners here just a little peek under the curtain. You know, (laughs) Michael, as you're aware... During the playoffs, we don't we don't take many nights off, but when you get a chance to do something, you might you might try to sneak out. So I recorded the Clippers Jazz game, and I went to a comedy show Friday evening. Uh, came back, watched the game. The game was way more hilarious than the comedy show. Okay, <laughs> um, I believe I described myself on this podcast earlier as a Rudy Gobert skeptic. I don't want to say we called it, but and when we were talking about this series. I, I remember we both said the Clippers' small ball lineup is going to play a huge role in this series. And is the criticism fair? I mean, if you're the Jazz, this is a pretty inexcusable loss, right? I mean, losing back-to-back games to a Kawhi Leonard in this Clippers team, uh, seeing them hit all those threes and, and not doing anything about it, I, I understand Mitchell you know, was hurt. At the same time, like, Mitchell was hurt. He was putting up big performances in the series. I I guess the Mm -hmm. ankle kind of got worse as it went along. I mean, he was listed for questionable for that last game, so I get that. You know, Conley obviously couldn't go for most of the series, and when he played, he didn't look right. But I think if you're the Jazz, this was your opportunity to prove yourselves. And I'm not saying that this is, like, a total failure or this team is awful or, you know, Mm -hmm. they're frauds and we're going to laugh at you. At the same time, the way these playoffs have shaken out, 
this looked like a really good chance for them to win a title. I mean, how did the series start? Quinn Snyder said, oh, the Clippers think we're a good matchup for them. And I just think it's a pretty inexcusable loss for the Jazz, and I do. I think they deserve criticism. Yeah, I do. That's what comes with being the one seed. That's what comes with being a championship contender. Like, if you want to play with the big boys, so to speak, if you want to be in that arena. I mean, that's what every team of of this caliber goes through. So, yeah, I I think the criticism is warranted. Yeah, I hear hear all that. I, I, you know, I'm here for criticism. That's fine. I think it's (laughs) a little, uh, you know, I wrote this piece last week about Rudy Gobert kind of, finally looking like a oh so you're gonna cover your own ass right now i get it no no go ahead go ahead finally looking like a um you know like the regular season rudy in the playoffs right like the criticism for years um from detractors has been that this guy um is so one-dimensional defensively in the fact that he can't step out on the perimeter that he's um, a liability against certain matchups chris paul james harden um, any pull-up, you know, Steph Curry, any pull-up three-point shooter. Um, we didn't, I mean, they didn't exploit him that way in Game 6 um, or Game 5 or any other game in the series, to be to be honest. I mean, you don't really want to go at Gobert in pick-and-rolls because he's so good. And as I wrote, I mean, he was stepping higher up on the floor. He was way more comfortable in space. They're not switching with him or anything like that. But, you know, you watch some of the threes, and how they were created. And it's like the point of attack defense that the Jazz have. And when I look at the Jazz, and I've always thought that they, um, their one big Achilles heel is the fact that they don't have great perimeter defenders. Royce O'Neal is, is really good. He's, if that's your best perimeter defender and then there's a significant drop off, you're in a lot of trouble. That's just how it is. So you'd see Jordan Clarkson get put in a, in a high pick and roll just beat off the bounce so bad. Rudy, Rudy Gobert has to rotate over to stop the drive. And sometimes it was off the strong side corner. Sometimes it was off the opposite block. And either Paul George or whoever, Reggie Jackson, whoever it was, would kick it to Terrence Mann either in the strong side corner or whoever Rudy was on in the, the opposite corner. And, like, I don't know. Like, I see, you know, I see the criticism of, oh, they needed to make an adjustment. Rudy Gobert played the entire second half. Um which that's a lot for a big man. And you could tell by the end he was pretty gassed once the Clippers kind of took the lead. But my thing is, like, what do you want Quinn Snyder to do? Do you want him to bench? Like, Derek Favors is the same thing. It's not like Derek Favors is going to switch out there and be hounding ball handlers 25 feet from the rim. So it's like, do you want to go small? Okay, so you're going to have Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley on the floor and Jordan Clarkson? And then what's your defense going to do there? So... But Mike, we can't we can't also sit here and yell at Doc Rivers to take out his you know second best player, quote unquote, his second star, Ben Simmons. Everyone's yelling for him to come off the floor in the fourth quarter. I, I don't know how you can sit here and say the Jazz shouldn't have done the same with Gobert. I, that's what the nature of the playoffs is, right? You have to have a team that's prepared for you know different styles of play. You have to have a team that's versatile. The Jazz, I understand you want to impose your style of play on a series, and I. You know, if you're successful at that, good for you, right? I think the Bucks started to do that to a degree as well also. It just wasn't working in that moment. And I just don't know after, like, after how many threes are you like, maybe we're going to switch this up a little bit. Now, part of the issue, like you said, was the perimeter defense, right? This is a lot on Gobert. I mean, you had Reggie Jackson and Paul George even taking guys one-on-one, not even calling for a screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
but being able to find their way into the paint. And, of course, Gobert has to help in that scenario. I think the lineup for them that I would have liked to have seen was Mitchell, Clarkson, Ingles, O'Neal, and um, Bogdanovich. Okay. You know, just because I think they, I think at that point you need to be like, this is a shootout. We've been a really good three point shooting team all season long. You know, Mitchell and Clarkson are got those are our guys who can take you off the dribble um, and collapse the paint, kick out to our shooters, and see if you can uh, see just see what that gives you. Give it two minutes, give it three minutes, see what that does. Uh, I just thought that I really respect Ty Lu for doing something that I I think coaches should do a little more frankly which is like we're literally going to spam this one thing it's like it's like me playing video games sometimes where it's like i'm gonna keep doing this one thing over and over again until until it's shown to me that it can be stopped and i respect him for doing that i think sometimes coaches get even bashful with that stuff in the playoffs how can you not question something that's so thoroughly not working to give up 81 points and a half uh, against a team down their best player I, to just kind of sit on your hands while your season is ending, I, I'm I'm shocked that they didn't try anything. So again, I hear all of that. I think if you play Rudy Gobert off the floor, like look, what the Clippers want to do, the Clippers don't want. I mean, they'll take the corner threes. Don't get me wrong. Terrence Mann taking a wide open corner three, or even like a semi contested corner three, is is not the worst way to end a possession if you're the Clippers. But what the Clippers want is for Rudy Gobert to be outside of the paint. They want to drag him out of the paint. If you just take him out of the game, Paul George, Reggie Jackson, um, even Nick Batum, I'm trying to think of who other uh, any other ball handlers on the Clippers in those small lineups, um, they're just going to live at the rim. And then you're in big trouble if you're the Jazz. So there was like one play where Rudy was like, okay, I, I, I literally need to stick to... Um, I think he switched on to Batum, or was it Terrence Mann? And he stepped out of the paint to guard him on the wing and and Paul George just went like right by him um, and uh, attacked a a vulnerable rim. And that's when you're in a very difficult situation if you're the Jazz. So I I understand. What do you think? What do you think they should have done? Do they just go down the way they did? Do they play zone? Are you saying there was no adjustment for them to make? I just don't know if there's a right answer. I mean, this is why the playoffs are so tough. It's like, is Terrence Mann really just going to make – Every shot, because if yeah, if he's going to make every shot, then we're probably going to lose, and we might just have to live with that. I don't know. Like I, 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 I thought I, when I was watching the game, I was like, and I actually watched it not live as you did as well. Mm-hmm. I watched it. I saw the Twitter um, <laughs> criticism, and I was like, uh, okay. I, I, I assume that you know, I looked at the plus minus for Rudy, and I was like, I assume he got smoked. And I didn't really get that feel after watching the game, to be honest. Um, it was just like, I I think a lot of the time we criticize the team that loses or blows the lead versus crediting the team that really has like an out-of-body experience and takes I, I, it, which is kind of fair. I mean, listen, at the end of the day, man hitting that many threes, Pat Bev hitting three corner threes. I agree to a degree. To a degree in the playoffs, you have to live with something, right? You you can't take away everything. There's no magical right. defense that literally takes away everything. And I, you bring up a good point that, you know, the alternative is Paul George living at the rim against smaller perimeter defenders with no one there to stop him. It's just uh, – it's definitely not an easy decision for Quinn Snyder considering how successful they were with Gobert 
throughout the season. And I think, you know, Doc, we'll get to that game too, was facing a similar scenario with Simmons in this series where you are making a decision that's bigger than an individual game if you take an all-star, a defensive player of the year, et cetera, off the court in a big moment. That's a decision that goes beyond just this one game, to be honest. So I, I understand the dilemma. I just, to me, I, I, I couldn't sit there as a fan, at least of the Jazz, and be like, wow, we're, we're not going to do anything. We're really going to live with this. Because after a certain point, it just became obvious that it was too successful what the Clippers were doing. At least try a different way. But it's definitely easier said than done. And like you said, I mean, the Clippers deserve a lot of credit this is like complete opposite of what we saw from them last year, right? Where they built the lead and blew it. This year, going into all kinds of deficits. Two, in my opinion, of the most impressive wins in franchise history, back-to-back, game five, on the road, no Kawhi, they get it done. And then this one, the huge deficit. The crowd was really into the game. I mean, really impressed with what the Clippers have shown this entire postseason. Right. Congratulations to the Clippers, who are now down 0-1 in the Western Conference Finals. <laughs> um, they got them right where they want them. They got them right they, where they want them. They, they do, in my opinion. Um, yeah. Okay, so quickly segueing to Brooklyn. Um, I have, a, I have a, a question off this series. Now, this is, I, I, you know, it's a really interesting way that they lost because that game was, like, literally one of the best games I've ever seen I in think my it's, life. I think it's probably the best NBA game since Game 7 of the 2016 NBA Finals. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking about it, and there's not too many. I mean, there's been... <laughs> nothing like, from nothing from 17 or 18 qualified, basically. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, you got the Kawhi game winner. That was a great game um, against Toronto, or against Philly in Toronto. That's in the conversation. The Dame Nuggets game is maybe in the conversation, but that was more of like an individual. But I think this might have been the best NBA game, considering the stakes, the players involved since Game 7 of the 2016 Finals. Right. No, I think that might be pretty fair. But the way the Nets lost, they did not have Kyrie Irving. Um, You know, James Harden played just... He looked better than he did in Game 5, in Game 6 and Game 7, but... I mean, we're talking about an MVP candidate here. He mm-hmm. was not even close to an MVP candidate. Um, so my question to you is, like, should the Nets be, even though they lost this series, should they be the heavy favorites to win the title next season? I kind of feel like they should. Yes. I kind of, I, I, I somehow still haven't ruled the Nets out for this season. You know, that's how, <laughs> I'm like, are we sure? Is there going to be, like, a, I don't know if any, any of the Open Floor Globe watches Top Chef. But Top Chef has something called Last Chance Kitchen. It's a loser's bracket. And then all of a sudden, someone just pops back in at the end of the season. And it's like, what? George has been in a secret shadow competition this whole time. And now he's back in the real thing. That's the Nets. The Nets need Last Chance Kitchen. Because, listen, I think you and I feel the same way about these two teams, which is... (laughs) I don't think anyone really wanted the Nets to win the NBA Finals. If I'm being honest, like outside of Brooklyn, where debatable, frankly, I think I think people were like a little nervous about this team. They were constructed in, in such a 
like aggressive way, the way Harden got himself out of Houston, I think certainly rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. They barely played together during the regular season, and now we're like, does this just not matter at all anymore? And I think people were, it was a little bit of wishful thinking when people would pick against them. It took every single ounce of energy for the Bucks to beat this Nets team that was so clearly hampered. And I, I found myself, even after these seven games, like oftentimes more frustrated with the Bucks than impressed. And I think the Nets would have ran through the playoffs this year if they were fully healthy. I, I, no so question. How, how good they looked with just Durant and like Harden on one leg. I, yeah, man. I mean, I say this with no bias. The Celtics beating the Nets in that series is like one of the great accomplishments any team has had. It <laughs> yeah. just like it's insane. That that team when fully healthy is just about it's it's very close to unbeatable offensively. And you saw when pushed to the test just what Kevin Durant is capable of. And I mean, imagining Kyrie Irving still on the court, imagining James Harden at like 80 or 90% of his abilities. Imagine if it was Kyrie Irving taking those wide open threes instead of Joe Harris. Who is, by the way, uh, the league leader in three-point percentage this season. Um, So, you know, I think that the Nets, next season there's some interesting um, hurdles for them, I guess if you want to call it like, Bruce Brown is a restricted free agent. He's pretty important. Um, Jeff Green and, we'll and Blake there. Griffin ended up being Je- in Jeff key Green cause. and Blake Griffin both are yes, both are definitely going to uh, want and deserve raises. And it'll I'd be, be shocked if they go. I'd be shocked if they go back on minimum deals. And I, how can Brooklyn afford them? Really, because they don't have bird rights on those guys. That's going to get. It's a sneaky, interesting summer for them because. You know, what if some, you know, small market or smaller market team comes in with a huge offer for Bruce Brown as their big free agent signing? Um, you know, he gets like the Evan Turner contract. Uh, you know, what if some contender is like, we're going to throw our full mid-level exception at Blake Griffin, etc. It's going to be interesting what happens with some of their role players. Right. Those, those are great points. Um, conversely, you're the Nets you, as we just said, we both think that because of KD, Kyrie, Harden, they are the heavy favorites in 2022. There will be ring chasers. There are always ring mm-hmm. chasers. We'll see what happens with the buyout market. We'll see what happens with who is willing to take a pay cut to either take the veterans minimum or take the mid-level um, from the Nets. So that's going to be really interesting to see. I can't wait to see what they look like next year. I I kind of feel I don't know, like, if, I don't want to get, like, moral about this or whatever. The Nets just felt a little artificial to me. And, you know, it is what it is with the NBA right now. Um, and that's fine. Once you kind of take your lumps, I, I, I soften up a little bit personally. You want to see... I, I perceive you, yeah. You want to see a journey. I mean, the Heat lost in 2011, and that was good. That was good. It was good for the narrative. And they've all said it was good for them, too. Right. It, I don't think... You and I have ever had an issue with players playing where they want to play. Like, that's Absolutely never something not. like, I won't even use the phrase that people like to use when they talk about this because I think it's like dumb and coded. But yeah, like, I'm all for free agency. I'm all for players trying to play wherever they want to. Um, the way the Nets just came together, it just felt so, yeah, it just felt like the most cynical version of what we've seen when it comes to this kind of thing yet. And I think that made it a little frustrating. 
Yes. So the Nets are going to win the title next year. I think we both have decided. <laughs> uh, a team that will not be winning the title this year is the uh, Philadelphia 76ers, who were eliminated in Game 7 uh, on Sunday night by the Atlanta Hawks. In I mean, just another really fun basketball game. I loved um, loved watching it. I watched it actually pretty closely just because I had to write a recap for SI, which you can ch- check out at SI.com right now if you would like. But as I teased at the top, we got a ton of emails uh, that just like <laughs> flooded the inbox um, after this game ended. So, Rohan, um, just let me read a few of these from our wonderful listeners, and then you and I are just going to kind of discuss. We'll, we'll 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 answer them, but also just kind of discuss Simmons, um, the, the just the complicated nature of his existence in the NBA. I guess is the the best way to put it. Um, so our first email comes in from Stavros, uh, all the way in Sydney, Australia. Uh, Stavros writes, uh, very succinctly, I might add, um, could Philly and the Spurs be trade partners for Simmons? Thank you, Stavros. Um, that was so <laughs> wonderful. Out. Yes. I've always to wanted to very... go to Sydney, um, even though Australia are our cricket rivals in India. Shout out to Sydney. Shout out to Australia. Seems cool as <laughs> Yes, yeah, so that was a that was a wonderful email. Um, our next comes in from Annie, who writes, "I'm a Sixers fan. It's been a great week, but because I live in the wonderful city of Portland, Oregon, and like all right-thinking people, I adore Damian Lillard. I also have a vested interest in the Blazers. A week before the playoffs started, anticipating that the Blazers would lose in the first round again, and fearing that the Sixers might somehow colossally screw up and not make it to the conference finals, bingo." I came upon the trade that was the most obvious solution for both of my teams. Portland needs to trade C.J. McCollum for Ben Simmons. As soon as I thought of it, I knew it was the most logical choice each team could make if they both failed to make sufficient progress once again. Well, turns out I'm not much of a genius because a few weeks later, now that both teams have unequivocally failed, all I need to do is type Simmons McCollum into a Twitter search and a whole lot of people are thinking the same (laughs) thing. But I haven't heard anyone get into any real analysis of this hypothetical trade. Will you please do me the honor? It would really help me cope with what has been a disappointing couple weeks. Thanks for reading. Love the pod. And so thank you, Annie. That was wonderful. We'll definitely be touching on that hypothetical, which is the most popular one, I think, um, in the NBA right now. Um, Our next email comes in from Joe in London. Uh, Hey, Michael, you are probably inundated with Simmons-related content right now, so I will try and keep it concise. Simmons to the Pelicans, Brandon Ingram to the 76ers. Um, Best from a longtime listener, Joe Crowley. Hey, I just want to shout out London real quick. My family actually lived there for a year when I was very young. Oh, Um, wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to London, Prime Suspect. It's a great TV show. Just... They, so they're really doing a good jo- job. Joe, thank you for that, Rowan. <laughs> um, Joe, uh, he has an addendum to the end of his email, oh. which was, P.S., I probably know nothing about basketball, and I'm from London, so ignore everything I just said. No, Joe, that was wonderful. No. Um, I also wanted to quickly shout out Nick, also in the U.K., for a similar trade proposal that he he threw at us weeks ago that we haven't gotten a chance to um, read on the pod that was very similar to the C.J. McCollum one that that Annie suggested. So, Rohan, before you and I kind of dig a little bit into the the hypotheticals here, um, just give me a reaction from what you saw from Ben Simmons uh, in this series, and how do you think it impacts his his trade value in a league where uh, 
every team, I think, assumes now that he is on the trading block and will be making offers if they are interested in acquiring him. It went from kind of fascinating to watch for me to hard to watch, to be honest. Um, right every fourth quarter of the last few games, you were like, what's Simmons going to do? What's going to happen? And I've been tweeting about it. Some of their late game possessions, I just thought, you know, it's one thing I understand Doc not wanting to bench him for the fourth quarter. Because like I said, with Gobert, once you open up that box, once you open up that door, it's a slippery slope. And I, I understand why coaches don't do it. It's difficult. I mean, you're talking about managing egos, relationships, um, confidence, etc. It's not as simple as just bringing him off the floor. At the, at the same time, there were certain late-game possessions that I was surprised to see Simmons on the floor for in this series. You know, that Embiid missed layup, which I guess was at the end of Game 4 or 5. I don't even remember now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was surprised to see Simmons on the floor there. You know, Collins came over and kind of helped, and Embiid missed that layup late in the game. Uh, Seeing him pass up that dunk on Trey Young uh, last night, and I know that he thought Gallo, he said after the game he thought Gallo was coming up right up his back. Some people say maybe he didn't have a great handle on the ball, etc. That was a play that I thought was really hard to watch because I think you could kind of see someone lose confidence in real time. That's a little bit me playing podcast body language reader guy, which I'm sure everyone loves. I'm sure Ben Simmons loves it when people do that. It, It just is... I mean, I thought Shaq, even though he was maybe laying it on a little thick on inside the NBA after the game, made a good point. But at least when just Shaq be a... uh, promoted physical violence, yes. is that what you mean by yeah, laying it yeah. on a little thick? Okay. Uh, but you just you want to see someone be aggressive in that moment. You want to see someone. You know, I don't. I don't really don't mind. Like I don't kill. I, I mean, I never really try to pile on guys. But I'm not upset with a guy if he goes out playing his game right or. If you lose, like Kevin Durant losing in that game seven, right? No one has a single problem with the way Kevin Durant played that night. No one's pinning that loss on him, even if he missed his shots in OT. Because you could see that he went out giving it his all. It just felt like Simmons, it reminds me a little bit of LeBron in 2011, where it it feels like he went out not playing his game, not giving it his all. And it just got to a point for me where it was hard to see him. Because I do think he's a talented guy, you know, how talented and, and what kind of impact he has on a team remains to be seen. But I, I thought it was hard to watch someone as talented as him go out that way, knowing the flood of criticism that's, that's going to land on him after the series. As far as his trade value goes, I think you're right. The Sixers are going to have to find a way to rehabilitate his trade value. Um, if anyone can rehabilitate his trade value, perhaps it's Rich Paul, his agent, who seems to have a, a knack for getting his guys in the situation he wants them in. But more than anything, it was uh, I, I want NBA players to be good. I, I like the idea of a Ben Simmons player. I think that's cool. And to see him kind of struggle the way he did, you, you just hope that you know his confidence isn't broken and, and there's not some kind of larger thing affecting him. So, yeah, I, I mean, I agree with everything you just said there. I think that, you know, that play where he did not dunk, with Trey Young as the only defender who was in front of him between him and the rim and Trey Young frankly was was succeeding the dunk he was letting Simmons have it and um I just thought that that play was kind of a microcosm of 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 who uh Ben Simmons is kind of sadly um becoming um and I've never thought 
that you know I've always thought that his weaknesses um, really maligned all of the great things that he's able to do, and so for him to shoot three shots in the fourth quarter of a seven-game series total, which I, Kenny Smith actually made me laugh on last night's inside <laughs> the NBA when he said, at least he didn't miss any, um, <laughs> which was great. Um, but but no, I mean, I, th- I just think that this was catacly- a cataclysmic series for him. And, you know, we talk a lot about fit. We talk about context. And, you know, is this role the best for him? And my thing is, like, if you're an all-star, if you're a very good player, if you have a lot of talent, which he does, and he's been an all-star and all that, like, sometimes you got to break through the fit. Sometimes you got to, um, like, if he's just in the dunker spot for 19 straight possessions, like, go get the ball. And the fact that he can't do anything with the ball in terms of um, shot creation and, like, the two times that he tried to create shots for himself in the second half, one was the dunk play where... Posted up Gallo, drop step baseline, shake Gallo, and you should be able to dunk it. The other one was a running, um, uh, a righty hook shot that just couldn't fall, went too hard off the glass. But, like, my thing is just, like, the, the Sixers are not going to get an all-star caliber player now when they trade Ben Simmons because of everything that we just saw, which makes them getting to the next level just very difficult um, in a lot of ways because Simmons and Embiid, I think that that partnership is over. You know, Embiid, it looked like, I don't know if you saw the post-game presser. I don't, Rohan, I don't think Embiid fully threw him under the bus. I think Embiid was mm-hmm. giving an honest answer to a question, and he went on to list a lot of other things. I know that that one line is getting pulled out, but I, I don't think Embiid fully threw him under the bus. But I also don't think that Embiid is going to be He's not going to be like that Wolverine meme, you know, holding the photo of Simmons on his chest if Simmons were to get <laughs> traded. I don't think he's going to be broken up about it. I think Simmons will get an Instagram post, but I don't think that, you know, I don't think that it will be a heartbreak for Embiid if he finds out he has more space to operate. Like Embiid, for example, like he had, I think, eight turnovers last night again, a yeah. lot of turnovers. But I also think part of the problem is they're asking him to do so much and oftentimes it's coming late in the shot clock oftentimes it's coming with Simmons defender closer to him than to Simmons and I just don't think either of those guys are in a you know ideal situation to operate agreed um which brings us to uh, the these trade proposals which frankly like yeah I I would be surprised if look you know it's going to be really difficult to trade him during the off season, um, but I would be shocked if he was on. Like I think that there's a there's a possibility that they keep him before the trade deadline and then move him before the trade deadline. You know, as you said, you're, it's a way to rehabilitate the value a little bit, and he's very good in the regular season. And hopefully, some people forget about what they just saw in the playoffs and think that okay, like maybe he hits like a, he takes a three a game or something. Um, through the first couple months of next season, and then they're able to move on from him. Can I can but, I throw out some proposals at you? Can I throw out some? Oh my god! At yes, you? keep your oh. pants on, Rohan. We're going to okay, get sorry, to it. Sorry, okay? sorry, all right, all right. <laughs> well, I just you know the emailers got the jump on me, and I'm you know I'm ready to go. I know. So, do you want to give me your proposals, or do you want to first talk a little bit about this CJ um, 
for Simmons trade and just kind of okay. Let's talk about CJ for Simmons. I think it makes sense. I mean, frankly, Philadelphia would have to throw in a sweetener to get someone like McCollum back. I don't think that they can make that trade straight up. Do you? You just said they can't get an All Star caliber player back. I think they'd have to throw in a maxi or first round pick or two to get that trade through. Um. I'm not saying that that's impossible. I am saying that the Sixers would never in a hundred million years make a trade like that where they're getting someone who has never made, who is older, who has never made um, an all-star team, which mm-hmm. whatever. I think CJ's great. Like I'm not, yeah. you know, CJ's like an awesome I understand player, what you're saying. I understand what you're saying. Yeah. The optics but of it. You, I right. I actually like that trade for Portland and Philly if it means Simmons is playing power forward or center in Portland. Like, I think a Dane pick and roll makes a lot of sense. You're not putting the ball in Simmons's hands. That's when I think you can get the closest to him becoming something of a Draymond-type player, right? Where, you know, Lillard and Simmons are running some version of the Steph Draymond pick and roll where if they come off and trap Dame, they are, you know, Simmons is playing four or you know, four on three, et cetera, right. making the right pass, spraying it out to guys in the corners, et cetera. I think Nurkic, if he were to stay there, you know, he had a, he had his own press conference after the season. Sounds like that's up in the air. If Nurkic were to stay there, I think he's a good enough shooter that you can make the spacing work or you try to find, you know, a five with a little bit of a stretchy ability. And I think it could work. I mean, I, I it would just depend on Simmons is going to have to be, I think wherever he goes, and we'll get to this in the proposals, Wherever Simmons goes, he's not going to be the point guard anymore. He's got to be a screener. Uh, he's got to be that type of player um, who's not going to have the ball in his hands. And I think that's that's the important key to where all these proposals. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's and so obviously for Philly, I think it makes sense. But go ahead. Yeah, you know, it's so interesting watching the game seven performance was right after Trey Trey Hung hit that twenty um, eight footer straight away right after Simmons passed up the dunk to put um or maybe it was a couple I don't remember but but uh Trey Young hits this three this bomb three with like 230 to go puts the um puts the Hawks up six and then on the very next play Simmons sprints to set a ball screen for Tobias Harris and rolls hard to the rim and Tobias um leverages that gravity and hits a bucket at the basket and so it's just like you, you watch something like that and you're like, okay, why, what, what is take, why has this been happening the whole time? And then you're like, oh, wait, Joel Embiid is on the floor as well. So I understand fit. I understand all that. But, um, but it's tricky. Um, so I, real quick, I, I think CJ is wonderful. I think you obviously lose some defense there. But at the end of the day, you know, the value of Simmons' defense just doesn't – like I, I don't understand the argument of um, we need a, uh, a super elite perimeter, versatile perimeter defender on a max contract to win the title. I don't think that's the case. I think you can have a bunch of Nick Batum's out there and be okay on the defensive. <laughs> I mean, end. if your if your offense if your offense is right, you could just have a bunch of Jeff Greens and Blake Griffins out there too. That is also a very yeah. good point. So I, I don't think that you need necessarily need um, to to have that quality and that element on your team to win the championship, particularly when you have such a transformative talent in Joel Embiid. So I think McCollum would be a really good fit um, and can be kind of that late game 
ball handler, pick running pick and rolls with Embiid. I think that could be really devastating. Um, you know, I agree 100% with you again, also with how Simmons fits in Portland and running high pick and roll there with Dame would be real tough to stop, real tough yeah. to stop. And I think he would look a lot more comfortable as well in that space, um, playing faster. Uh, so that trade would be fun to see, I think. But now, you know, sometimes that trades like that just are too neat. You know what I mm-hmm. mean? And they just like never actually happen. But, um, Assuming that it doesn't, just like what are some some proposals that you have for me now, Rohan? What do you think of now? I don't know if this is insulting or not because I think this is a good player who could help a lot of contenders. Okay. Okay. Ben Simmons goes to Sacramento for Harrison Barnes and like two first round picks, or however many first round picks you can con uh, Vivek Ranadive into sending you. And I think Barnes. It spaces the floor, gives them good defense. In, enough of a secondary-ish creator. I, I think he can get his own shot. You know, I saw some people say, oh, can you get De'Aaron Fox? I mean, I think, you know, there's enough shooting in Sacramento, I think. If you can play Bagley, Heald, and Fox together uh, with surround Simmons with those guys, I think that you can get a, a very extremely diet version of the Lillard-Simmons pick-and-roll. Uh, if you sent him to Sacramento with Fox and Simmons. I think the ship ship has sailed on getting someone as good as De'Aaron Fox for Ben Simmons. No, no, I'm saying, I'm are. saying, yeah, that's what I'm saying. They're trading yeah. him for yeah. Harrison. No, Barnes. I agree. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> um, which is a bummer because when I was thinking of doing like a bunch of fake trades, I was like, oh, like, can you get a De'Aaron Fox type? Cause that, and it's just like, the Kings aren't going to do that, man. No. Like, absolutely not. Um, so yeah, Harrison Barnes, um, I mean, the gravity would be great, for sure, and being able to space the floor around Embiid, because one of the things that you saw in the fourth quarter of Game 7 was Embiid kept having to iso um, right around the nail in the middle of the free-throw line, and he was hitting those shots, but it's like, if that's your offense, and he's there, I should clarify, he's there because you cannot double-team a guy who can just see the entire court as opposed to trying to post up on a wing— so they had to put him at, in the middle of the floor at the nail, and a lot of those just evolved into those mid-range jumpers, which Embiid hit a bunch of them. He missed some, too, and that's tough. That's like a really tough way to kind of see your season go down the tubes like that because you don't have the space. So, yeah, Harrison Barnes would for sure give you a secondary or tertiary creator. He would create space. He's a pretty good defender. And this is what I'm talking about when I'm talking about, like, you don't need a defensive player of the year runner up. You need, like, you can win a title with Harrison Barnes. We saw, obviously, that happened. (laughs) The Golden State Warriors won a title because Harrison Barnes could defend Zach Randolph in the post. Um, So I think that's a really good one. Um, Again, I just don't, the like, the the optics, optics is like a really good word here. It would, Um, it would look embarrassing on paper it, it would look like a worse trade on paper than I think it really is because I think the fit of Harry B in a lot of places would work. I have one more. This one I don't think is good, but I'm going to just float it out there. I just want to see your face when I suggest it. Great. Do you think there's any chance Ben Simmons could get moved to Denver in a package surrounding Michael Porter Jr.? <laughs> I mean, I, I this, this actually crossed my mind. Ooh. Um, you know... I don't think that 
that makes the Sixers that much better because, I mean, you're going from one of the best defenders <laughs> to one of the worst, and I don't think I don't think that that is like necessarily the 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 end of the Sixers if they were to have a defender who is that bad. I think that they have some other pieces. You're also um, going on- from one of the worst three point shooters to one of the highest. You know, he's going to sure. launch them if you want someone to take the threes. MPJ will do that. I, I, I would I would greatly enjoy watching um, MPJ. <laughs> yes, that 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 dynamic <laughs> yeah. um, in the fourth quarter where yeah. you go from zero for zero with Ben Simmons to four for seventeen <laughs> yeah. in a game seven in the fourth quarter, and you're just like, okay. Um, so it would be quite the uh, the tilt to the other end of the spectrum mm-hmm. for sure. But that would be fun. I mean, I'd be there for it. And I also think that Simmons in Denver as kind of the third wheel there, because they have a ton of spacing and whatever, I th- mm-hmm. and they need help on defense. I mean, that would be terrific for him. That's like a, the perfect destiny for him. So those were two I thought of. Now it's like the other thing you have to take into account here is where would Simmons have the most value where he's a young guy on a long-term contract? So now you have to, I think, bring in – the teams that aren't really successful right now but aren't going to sign a star, right? They're not going to get a star in free agency unless they wildly overpay. Can I can I, can I throw you my fake trade Please, now? of you course. Just perfectly, you just teed it up. Yes. Like, yeah, no, no. And we did not share this before. We did not. Okay, so no. That. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. Okay. Um, ben Simmons to the Cleveland Cavaliers mm. for Kevin Love. And Colin Sexton. Okay, so Kevin Love exists, right? Like, that's not a fever dream I had five years ago about uh, some, someone who looks like that playing basketball. Like, that's a real person who exists still. Okay. He when exists. was the last time you saw Kevin Love play basketball? Um, I mean, the things that are coming to my head right now are him just being in, like, a pure fit of rage and frustration (laughs) with his situation. Um, So this is another interesting trade because you want to talk about optics. You're taking a chance on someone who hasn't played a meaningful basketball game in a long time, and he's been hurt um, for large stretches of the last couple years. But I think what we're both getting at is when you have someone like Simmons who's value was tanking thanks to conversations like these that's the kind of team that makes sense for him it is the clevelands of the world that aren't going to be able to go out and sign a guy like ben simmons and their best chance is to try to rehabilitate him um so you said love and sexton yes and <sighs> i throw sexton in there because he's he's really good i mean i don't think i don't think people are like understanding um like when i say you're well, not going to get an all-star this is the tier of player right. who I think is still possibly attainable. And if you are the Cavaliers, you know, Okoro, Simmons, that's that's stout. Jared Allen, that's stout defense right there. You have Larry Nance as well, who's incredible. Um, and the Darius Garland, I mean, I don't Allen, think you Sexton could play Allen. I don't tough. think you could play Allen and Simmons together, though, is the problem. Um, I mean, I think it would be a little tricky, yeah. but you know, um, Allen's uh, develop. He was he was developing that corner three when he was in Brooklyn. <laughs> I was watching him take those. <laughs> That's true. Games. No, he's not. He will take them. 
My thing is, do the Cavs ask for a first round pick in that deal? I mean, in the first step of negotiation, probably. Yeah, it's Kobe Altman. I, I don't know, man, just because, uh, like you said, Sexton's a good up-and-coming young player. I That's, like, right on the borderline of who you'd be willing to give up for Simmons. That's an interesting one. I, I like the idea of Love playing next to someone like Embiid, and I know that there was such a spotlight on what Love could do defensively in those Warriors series. And perhaps I guess that exists now with Brooklyn, but I do think that it was I, – I think he can survive in a playoff series is what I'm getting at. But we just don't know anymore. We haven't seen him play an important basketball yeah. game in years. I mean, Love is there, honestly, because of salary, and yeah. he's kind of the tax. Yeah. Where, mm. So you said the first-round pick. I think it's well, – Philly would say we're taking Love's contract. Well, so. That's kind of how I view it. I don't even see love. You know, love might have an impact in a playoff game. But Cleveland it's much might more say we're taking. Sexton. Cleveland might say we're taking Simmons's contract, which has got <laughs> sure. quite four four years on. I think love's got only two years left. So, you know. Okay, so we were. I, I hope we weren't too harsh on Ben Simmons, but um, I, I think you know. well, I think it's obvious that he can't come back. I think it's obvious that that it's that that ship has sailed, and it has nothing to do with the process. But those two guys just don't work together. They don't. I agree. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. The wait is over. The shy is back on Paramount Plus, and the stakes have never been higher. Everything changes on the South Side when a new threat comes to power in the Showtime original series from Emmy winner Lena Waithe. Battle lines will be drawn, alliances will shift, and danger lies around every corner, leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash shot to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply. This is Colin Coward from The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Angie's list is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big, small, indoor, outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled pros to get the job done well. Listen, I've got a couple of things in a bathroom in my house. Gotta get it fixed. I don't have time, and I'm not good at it. Angie is. With just a few taps on the app, you can have Angie tackle your home service project start to finish. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects really easy. It's your one-stop shop. 
Angie can help you find the best price for your project by comparing quotes from multiple pros in just a few taps or book services at an upfront price based on local data. They get the difficulties that can come with home projects. They get it. Why not make it as simple as possible? Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com or download the app today. Rowan, we still have our live draft to do and we're like pretty late. um, in this episode Um, that's my fault for pacing Um, before I'm going to put this up to you Um, do you want to quickly uh, just address the Kemba Walker trade and we'll spend like 90 seconds on it is that okay do you want to do that before we get into the live draft yeah sure let's do it Um, I just want to say that regarding that trade I I think it makes sense for Boston I like Horford's fit there I think he has more to give uh, than he's had in his last couple stops I also so that trade happened very early in the morning on the West Coast and I sent like a, just a really stupid tweet about it like something about the value of like the draft picks Presti's acquiring and I was like, just getting rightfully dragged by seemingly every single person who lives in Oklahoma City and I like woke up and I was like yeah I don't know what I was thinking there I don't know why I I sent that tweet I should have just stayed asleep and <laughs> I, I I didn't want to take it down I left it up as a monument to my idiocy. So everyone who dragged me that day, you were right. I apologize. I, I don't know what I was thinking. So I did not see this tweet. Was you? <laughs> were you just criticizing the Thunder? For... I wasn't even criticizing. I was just like, oh, we don't know what any of these first round picks are going to turn into. So like, we'll see what happens mm. with OKC. And everyone's like, yeah, I wonder if Sam Presti's thought of that, you idiot. I was like, <laughs> I was like you're not wrong. Um, so my very quick read on it was... Uh, Kemba Walker has been just a big bummer. Um, it made so it made it made so much sense to sign him when they did. People are going to look back as that that was a a very smart signing when it happened. Right. Um, he was coming off a season where I think he played all eighty two in two straight years. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong about that, but he was he was pretty reliable in terms of his minutes, in terms of the load he was able to carry. And obviously, at the time, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. They just lost Kyrie Irving in free agency, and it was either re-sign Terry Rozier to what would have been an overpay after Rozier shot like thirty six percent during the regular season from the floor. Or have this opportunity to get Kemba Walker, and they did. Did not know his knee would be what it was, and what we saw was him kind of just not being able to be as consistently great as as um, as the Celtics obviously hoped. Uh, from the Celtics' perspective, you know, you give up the first round pick, and to me, it's like a um, a take one step back to take two steps forward type of move from Brad Stevens where everyone has talked about the financial flexibility and how that what that affords and you get off that money you get Horford's contract in there Horford's 14 and a half million non-guaranteed next season um and you know if you're a Celtics fan what you're telling yourself is okay the Celtics are just going <laughs> to use that financial cap space to uh sign Bradley Beal in the summer <laughs> of 2023 and everything will be fine um if not you know it's going to be pretty tricky for that. I mean, it does make it easier for them to get that third star that they will eventually need to put around um, Tatum and Brown. But until that happens, it's just kind of one of those trades where you just you lost a first round pick and you lost a, a guy you to, to basically get off some salary. And that's that's a bummer. Um, so that's that's my read on it. Uh, Rohan, are you ready for the live draft? I am. Let's do it, baby. 
Okay, so this is going to be fun. Um, basically, what we're going to do, this is very simple. <laughs> it's a big problem. Uh, yes, it's going to be a blast. Uh, yeah. So everyone enjoy. Um, what we're going to do is, you know, we're going to look at everyone who is currently playing um, uh, in the conference finals and just draft from all of them and try to put together the best possible starting lineup that we can. And we're, we're we're going off the parameters. We're not trying to like build teams here. We're just going off the parameters of who do you want on your team at this exact moment in time, which is why I might choose Reggie Jackson first overall. Um, so that's just like, who do you want right now? Who's playing the best basketball? Who's awesome? Um, and all of that wonderful stuff. So uh, Rohan, we have not decided who would get the first pick in this, in this uh, wonderful uh exercise that we're about to 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 journey on together do you want the first pick because i'm i'm just being a generous person do you do you want it or do you want no it? you know what it was your idea i feel like you should get the first pick um you're just putting the pressure on me i don't really yeah, like that I'm yeah not gonna yeah lie. so you know i'll let you kick things off tip things off as they say in okay. basketball okay yes they do say it in basketball yeah. um i'm i don't know if this is controversial it might be um i'm gonna go with paul george for my first pick. Damn it. That, that was absolutely my first pick. And I was convinced <laughs> that I was going to be able to get him at number two. This is why I shouldn't be a GM. No, I think it makes so, a lot of sense. I think what we've seen in the playoffs so far is if your star, your star needs just more than one dimension. And I think Paul George has shown that he's had that both sides of the floor so far in the playoffs. So I think that makes sense as a first yeah. pick. Yeah, when I look at it, I'm just kind of like, you're right. I, I love the defensive versatility. Um, I mean, the the tough shot making that he's had on display, including in that game one. Um, and he's just playing huge minutes, too. So, like, shout out to Paul George. I never want to hear anyone criticize anything he's ever done going forward. Um, he has proven himself um, and then some in this postseason. And... And yeah, like I'm just a little weary of uh, maybe I don't know. I'm not, I'm, I'm not like knowing who you're going to take with your next pick, but I'm a little <laughs> weary of free throw shooting. I'm a little weary of you know crunch time offense and oh, the ability okay. to create your own shot. You're already so trying to under, with... you're already trying to undermine my pick. I see you're yeah. already trying to undermine. Well, listen, I'd love to go with some kind of crazy swerve here, but I got to take Giannis because um, mm. I think him and PG are the two guys best left in the playoffs right now who are playing. Um, Paul George and Kawhi obviously remain to be seen what happens with them. I think you got to take Giannis, and I'll say this to Giannis's credit. I thought he was really aggressive in that game seven. He did not seem scared to get to the free throw line. Uh, he wasn't great from the line in game seven, but I thought he hit just enough uh, to make it passable. And listen, he delivered in the second half of that net series. I think the frustrations with how he plays oftentimes goes to how he's being deployed. Um, than his own personal decisions. I mean, threes aside, but I thought he was aggressive. He's going to be the backbone of my defense, so I got to take Giannis. I I will say that there's a part of me that, obviously there are a couple other guys that I'm considering here, but who I think are explosive offensive players who've been mismatches, but I'm going to go Giannis. Yeah, I mean, it it came down to Giannis or PG for me, basically a coin flip. Um, You can't really say enough wonderful things about the way Giannis played in game seven. Like, I think it's a little, I don't know if it's overlooked, but it's I think a little overlooked. Obsessing, yeah. 
he was tremendous. I mean, yeah. like the mid-range jumper too. Like I have a lot of confidence in that shot for him, yeah. and I don't think the teams should be giving it up um, as as easily as they do. The pull-up threes, couch them please forever. Um, but the pull-up twos when he's at the elbow from like 12, 15 feet, whatever, like those are, those are pretty, I haven't looked at the numbers to be honest with you, but those seem just from when I'm watching him play, like I have a confidence yeah. in those dropping. Giannis um, is going to look back on the pull-up threes. Like I look back on the goatee I had on my 21st birthday <laughs> and I'll leave it at that. Yes. And, and me and the sideburns that I had yeah. in college. <laughs> um, okay. So now it's my pick the the um, third overall pick here. I'm going Trey Young. And Good. this, oh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, you know, I want to say that defensively, there are ways to obviously exploit Trey Young, and we even saw the um, the Sixers do it a lot with Corkmas. Once mm-hmm. Danny Green went down, and they were just running Corkmas off DHOs and 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 um, just like putting him and putting Trey Young in a lot of screen actions, and it was tough because the it shifts the whole weak side. Like everyone, all of his teammates have to be conscious of where he is and how he's being attacked, and that really opens up everything else for an offense. So. I say all that, and I'm just like, this dude is a genius with the basketball in his hands. And he just has, like, you you have the floater, you have the lob threat, you have, um, obviously, the pull-up threes, you have his ability to draw fouls and get teams in the bonus. Um, He hits the free throws. I mean, his offensive game is just, it's, it's marvelous, and I don't have a lot of bad things to say about it there. Um... Like you seemed very uh, excited that I took Trey Young. Yeah, so you blew. Like it. Yeah, you... no, no, you blew it with this pick. You blew it with this pick. I'm gonna take. <laughs> I'm gonna take Devin Booker with my next pick, the man who threw up a casual forty point triple double against your Clippers, against Penis Clippers, against uh-huh. your boy Paul George in Game One of the West Finals. I'm gonna go with Devin Booker. I think you, he can do just about everything you said Trey Young can do, um, while giving you a little bit more on the defensive end. So I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go with Devin Booker as my next pick. Okay, um, and, and, I, and Booker, I'm and I'm getting him switched onto Trey Young every single play, and all Devin Booker is gonna be thinking about is how you picked him ahead of him. Okay, well, likewise, I am <laughs> um, I am uh, I I had Devin Booker. You know, I, I ranked like 20 names, mm-hmm. like a total lunatic, and Devin Booker was number four for me. I love Devin Booker. I always have. He's incredible. Mm-hmm. So I have no. This is gonna be your Vlade. This is gonna say. be your Vlade moment. This is gonna be your Vlade <laughs> moment. <laughs> um, okay, so this is where it gets a little interesting because yes, I think that now it gets very interesting. Do you want to build a team out? Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Now it gets fun, and you're right. You were about to say, do you want to build a team out, or do you just want to pick the best player available? Right. And the best player available to me is actually kind of. It's like not an open and shut case here. Mm. Um, that said, I think I know who the best player is, and I'm going to take that player, and that is uh, Chris Middleton. Ooh. Um, yes. Uh, so I will have, uh, you know, PG, Chris Middleton, Trey Young so far. I mean, Chris Middleton is 
just you know we talk about like tough shot making that you have to have in a postseason series. Chris Middleton is as good as that as, as anyone. So having him and PG, um, both two way wings. I think Chris Middleton's defense. I hope it gets the 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 due it deserves because he's very good on that end, and can he just has like the deepest bag. Um, not the deepest bag, but he has a very, very, very deep bag of moves that he can go to, and you can't leave him alone in the perimeter. And, yeah, so I'm going with Chris Middleton. That's a really good pick. That's a really good pick. Um, so now this is tough, right, because there's two guys who I really want on my team who I think have been awesome during this postseason. And I'm going to overreact a little bit to Game 7 of Bucks Nets. And say, you know what? I have two guys. I know that the ball is going to be in Devin's hands every time down the floor in the late mm-hmm. late game. You know what I mean? So, and I still have Giannis as a, as a guy I can give the ball to on the left block and say, "Go get me a bucket." Right. So this is a little. I think this is the first real reach. This is the first real. What is he thinking? Moment of this draft, okay? Bryn Forbes. <laughs> okay, if they were playing the Heat, yeah, I'd pick Bryn Forbes. I'm going with uh, I'm going with Mikhail Bridges. Get, get me a three and D oh. guy who slot, who slots in right on my team. He's gonna erase Chris Middleton. I can put him on Trey Young. Uh, yeah, man, give me Bridges. Give me Bridges. I think I. I think if he was doing like the Batum role on the Clippers, people would be really freaking out. Um, I just think he's been really good, and I think he's really, really, really solid. And I think he's so, he's had he's had a little off the dribble game, just a tiny bit, a little off the bounce uh-huh. in these playoffs. Yeah, so I'm going with Bridges. I love Mikael Bridges. I've probably written more like. 1200 plus word stories about yeah. him than any other player yeah. in the NBA <laughs> since he was drafted. And um, even you are like, it. what does he think? No, I, I mean, I know, I, I, I love him. Um, my question there is, like, what went into your thinking of taking Mikhail Bridges over Drew Holiday, who is available, who is also very so good. So it, it was between him and Drew. It was between him and okay. Drew. And like I said, I think maybe I'm overreacting to that game seven a little bit. But Drew really struggled in the second round. I thought as, impre- as much as he impressed me in the first round against the Heat, I was a little surprised at how little impact he had at times against the Nets. I thought he was going to be a, like a, a home wrecker in that series. I thought he was really going to, you know, mess up a lot of the things the Nets wanted to do. And I, I don't think he had the impact I thought he would defensively. Now, some of that just has to do with how good the Nets are. But on the other end of the floor, seeing him break all those shots in Game 7, I don't know. I don't know. And like I said, I think the ball is going to be in Devin Booker's hands. So who do I want? Off-ball, you know, shooting, I'll take the length and shooting of Bridges over Holiday for my particular team. Okay. Um, I hear you. That's wonderful. And (laughs) I was not expecting this at all. So the player who I was, like, definitely going to take, and now I'm just kind of like, I don't know... Uh, you you really threw a wrench in my whole process here, and I don't appreciate it. Good, um, good. Okay, um, you know what? <laughs> Screw it. Um, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna take Drew Holiday. Um, okay. Well, I can't wait to I, feast on your tiny backcourt. I yeah, you're gonna feast on Drew Holiday. Yep. <laughs> Famous last words, my friend. Um, 
I, you know, I, I, I think that you need as much, obviously you need as much quality defense as you can when you have Trey Young on the floor and you need a lot of intelligence and you need a lot of strength and size and length and all that. So Middleton, PG, Drew Holiday, I'm, I'm very confident in that, in that trio. And I also really love Drew Holiday on a team where he doesn't have to do, do too much offensively, which is when he really, um, kind of struggles in big spots, I think. So I'm, I'm very happy about this pick. Okay, I think next pick I'm obviously taking Brooke Lopez. No, no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> uh, so now, I think now is where we really get to the, the role players portion of this draft, right? Um, okay, you just so- took Mikhail Bridges, but continue. <laughs> Please, no, go, go on. Okay, okay, okay. So right now your team is Drew, Trey, Middleton, and uh, Paul PG. George. Okay, yep. I have Giannis... Bridges and Devin Booker. Yes. Man. I'm just going to say it. You know, you, you hate seeing names during a draft because you don't want to spark an idea. He's been so good. I still think it's maybe just a one step too early to take him. Man. I'm if you between... take who, I'm, who I was going to take, I'm just going to like. I'm going to flip my laptop over. I'm between two guys. I'm going to do it just for the chaos version of it once again, even though I really want this next guy on my starting five. I'm going to take Reggie Jackson. Okay. That was not who <laughs> oh, I was no. thinking. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm going to take Reggie I'm, Jackson because, listen, I've seen him go one-on-one against Utah's Spurders defenders in that series. I think worst case, I need someone to go get me a bucket. Giannis needs one of those rests. I think Reggie Jackson, I'll let, I'll let him go one-on-one on Trey Young. I'll let him hound Trey Young on defensively as well. So, yeah, I'm going to let Reggie Jackson run point for my team. Reggie Jackson is shooting. Isn't like, he like over 50% from three or something right now? 50. I was going to say like 93. <laughs> <Yeah>. He's, every, <laughs> every shot that guy takes is just like. It's He's hitting contested shots too. Yeah. It's like he, he waits. Yeah. It's crazy, man. It's crazy. The the great thing about it is just like this dude doesn't like he's so one track minded right now in a great way where it's like I don't need to set up anything for anyone. I am uh-huh. just gonna get buckets. This is who I am, this is what I was meant to do this whole time. Yeah. Like forget about Detroit, forget about all that. I'm just a bucket getter and this is my identity. And so yeah. um shout out to him. Um he's yeah. played he's been there. I mean, right now, if you were to look at the Clippers, who's their second best player? Like, I'm saying that yeah, because Kawhi's I, hurt. I, yeah, I think it's been Reggie over the last couple games, at least, for sure. So. so, I'm also just over the moon that you took Reggie Jackson and not who <laughs> I was going to take. Um, so, I'm I'm going with DeAndre Ayton. Um, mm. Primarily because, you know, I haven't... One of the things that I'm probably going to write about, so I don't want to step on it too much right now, is like his... Defense so far in the first two rounds has been excellent, but something that I saw in um, particularly the third quarter of Game One of the Western Conference Finals is like, oh wait, DeAndre Ayton hasn't had to really defend anyone in a pick and roll this whole time. So even though like he's in, he'll, he'll drop. I'm not saying he he literally hasn't defended pick and rolls, but he has it. Like he's just will be in drop coverage and everything will be fine. And you saw in the third quarter, it's like, okay, Aiton is now dropping and who's shooting? Oh, it's Reggie Jackson who is hot lava or it's 
Paul George, who makes every single pull-up three, um, as he did during the regular season. And I think that that is just a really tricky conundrum for him to kind of navigate as the series progresses and the Clippers presumably go small for bigger minutes. But the reason why I'm taking him is uh, he's been so excellent on offense, so excellent on the glass, so willing to sacrifice touches. Um, and I really need a lob threat if I have Trey Young on my team. That's like not an option. And I didn't, you know, I love Clint Capella too, but like DeAndre Ayton, I feel like is just a slightly more imposing two way threat in terms of um, like he can just jump a little bit. He can mm-hmm. get those balls a little bit higher. Um, he has a little bit more force. If you throw him the ball on a four on three, he can score over yeah. a smaller, like low man rotating over from the weak side. Capella can't really do all that. So I like Aiton. I'm just like, I can't, like my team is so stacked. I'm so excited for this fictional universe where it just like totally throttles your team. Well, you um, just take okay. all the guys that everyone was upset about where they got picked in the draft they went. So no, no. I like that you're <laughs> uniting Trey and Aiton. Like the, uh, let me ask you the question I texted you yesterday, which is you're building oh, a wow. team right now that's not related to the teams we're literally building right now. Mm-hmm. But you're building an NBA team for the next five years. Who do you want, DeAndre Ayton or Rudy Gobert? So, I I I thought about this. It's tough. I don't think that Rudy Gobert is going to get um, much better as a basketball player on either end. I think that he is also. I mean, we're, I mean the the. the preface for this is just obviously that Gobert is like five or six or how old he's like six or seven years you gotta old. answer the question Mike you gotta answer the question okay Mike. okay okay so I I think that Aiton in two years and three years is just gonna be like a he's just gonna be a perennial all-star and you know offensively we saw in game one his impact without Chris Paul which I think was a huge test for him and so like I'm going with Aiton it's not easy. I have so much respect for Gobert. And as I said at the top of the show, I think he was um, unfairly maligned a little bit for mm-hmm. how Utah's season went down. That said, he did not have Mike Conley in that series. And that really relegated his offense to like a net zero. Like mm-hmm. he can't create offense on his own. He's still a really good screen setter, really good diver through the paint. Obviously, a three time defensive player of the year who's improving on that end still. But the age difference and just everything I've seen from Aiton in this postseason says I, I would go with Aiton. I think you have to go with Aiton. And I think it was Bob Myers who said this a few years ago. But playoff basketball is just a different game than regular season basketball. It's just a lot different. And until the two look more alike, and as long as the playoffs are more important, the fact that Aiton, I think, just gives you more on offense and brings that energy I mean, look at the big guys he's gone up against in this postseason. Anthony Davis, when he was healthy, the MVP and Nikola Jokic. He held his own against those guys. And he's made himself a lot of money uh, in this playoff run. I mean, I think he turned into a no-doubt, you know, unquestioned max guy where maybe he wasn't no necessarily. Question. Yeah. So, yeah, I I think it's got to be 8-2. and two. Um Okay, so you got your team. Do you want to just list out your your starting five real quick now that you've you've made your five picks? 
Sure, I really love how you're vamping here and not giving us who your last pick is, and just kinda, I'll tell you, you know, I'll tell you. You're getting nervous, but okay, I, no, I will. It's a, so I, I went with Paul George, um, Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, Trey Young, and DeAndre Ayton is my team. Okay, so you got a team filled with like chokers and uh, you know maligned draft picks. That's great. Yeah, I can't wait for Paul George and Drew to shoot a combined. Uh, you know. Three of twenty nine. It's not even going to get to a game seven, or if it did. Okay, um, okay. Who are you taking? I'm going. This is a, a crazy considering where this person started at the start of the season. I'm going with Nick Batum as my last pick. Mm-hmm. Okay, not that and, crazy. Yeah, I think he's shooting the lights out of the ball. He's playing incredible defense. I think with him and Bridges on the perimeter, uh, I think it's going to be able to slow down. Um, a lot of the attack. I'm playing Giannis at the five the whole way, and I think my team has um, outstanding shooting at you know from one through four. Uh, Giannis is going to be an outstanding you know screen threat for everyone on the floor. Yeah, I can I can switch. I can drop with Giannis. I have multiple styles of defense I can play. Um, I feel confident in that team, and I feel confident in that pick. So basically, yeah, Giannis is your five. And you got a lot of ball handling. You got some yeah. shooting. It's not. It's not. It's not a bad team for sure. Um, you would get smoked in every possession that these two lineups were matched up against one another. But that's that's like not. You know, it's neither here nor there. It's not a big deal. Considering you had the first pick and blew it as hard as you did, I. Uh, <laughs> you know, I. Yeah. Uh, you're tough, speechless right now, which tells, which, which says a lot. I just thought um, you would do a lot better. I was prepared to like have to have an actual <laughs> conversation about our teams. But, uh, um, before we end, like you know, there's some names that we didn't even like mention at all. Mm-hmm. And the first one for me is John Collins, who was tremendous in yes. that series. Um, he seemed to me in the playoffs before, I want to say game three, could have been game five, they all blend together for me, but he seemed to be a little bit in his head, mm-hmm. honestly, um, on both ends and still makes some mental mistakes, you know, that, that play late in uh, game seven where he ran up to set a ball screen for Trey and <laughs> kind of dragged away. Tobias <laughs> yeah. Harris over yeah. and then just turned his back on the play yeah. <laughs> as uh, Trey was trapped Yeah, um, when Trey had Seth Curry on him already and was like about to cook. Uh, that was very funny, um, but... All in all, you talk about someone embracing a role. I mean, this dude is just all energy, all physicality, not backing down from anyone. Um, his defense on Simmons, his defense on Embiid, frankly, later on in the series mm-hmm. was tough. Um, so shout out to him. Uh, if you picked Aiton when you had Reggie Jackson, I think I would have actually gone with John Collins and mm. just been had him as my five, which would have made me a little nervous. But he's been really good. Um, he's so been good. I want to show you mentioned Capella. I mean, also, I think the only reason I didn't go with this guy is uh, because we're doing at this current moment, and he might be hurt, but Bogdanovich. Uh, yeah. Bogdan has been bummer. awesome. Real bummer about the knee. Also, the Hawks doing this without DeAndre Hunter, who's really good, um, and doing this with Bogdan slowed down. Uh, we probably haven't talked enough about how much the Hawks have impressed us, but the resilience and mental toughness they've shown for such a young team and with their own injuries has been pretty incredible. So, yeah. Uh, did you did them. you consider Chris Paul at all? I did, but I just thought it would be kind of like, we don't know when he's coming back, and I just figured him and Kawhi were off limits. That's just how I 
you know. Yeah, but Paul, same. CP might have been my, like, number one overall pick wow. if he was healthy because of how Not good crazy. I think he's been in the playoffs, yeah, and just he's how much been... love I have for uh, Chris Paul in general. Yeah, he's been ridiculous. So I'm glad that we both agree that my team was better. Uh, Rohan, <laughs> is there anything else that you want to say uh, before we, we, we give the uh, the people our outro? Just, you know, continued shout-out and love to the Open Floor Globe. Shout-out to the woman at Starbucks today who was standing right by the front door when I walked in so that when I walked in, I immediately was a guest on her FaceTime call with whoever she was talking to. Shout-out to her. Um, yeah, shout-out shout out to all the Open Floor Globe listeners all over the world sending their emails. Man, we got Sydney and London today. That's pretty exciting. Yeah, so again, I want to reiterate everything that Rohan just said. Thank you so much to the Open Floor Globe for for sending in those emails. Keep them coming, honestly. Like we are, we're trying to read as many as we can um, on the show, and we, I feel like we got through a, a good amount today. But keep them keep them coming. Keep them on on. Um, I want to hear what you guys think about. No, if go I ahead. if I wanted to send an email, where would I send it to? Not telling. Okay. Um, no. Uh, <laughs> openfloormail at gmail.com. Okay. You, re- you don't respond to my text, so I just, you know, I thought maybe that would be an easier way to reach you. Yeah, you can try that. We'll see what happens. <laughs> that might be a better avenue. Um, but openfloormail at gmail.com. Openfloormail at gmail.com. Um, thank you, everyone, for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, Rohan and I will be back next week. Uh, Chris Herring and I will be here um, on Thursday. Um, Make sure you and, tweet me about how much better my team is than Michael's. Yeah, send emails in about how much, whose team you preferred, actually, and, and who you would have drafted if you were in a similar exercise. But until then, um, thank you so much for the emails. Thanks for listening. Um, enjoy NBA basketball uh, this week, and everybody stay safe. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. 
Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.